Each and every Lent provides a new opportunity to die to ourselves and put on Christ. But what does that really mean? And how, in the midst of our busy, secular culture, can we actually take advantage of that opportunity? Join us today as we discuss those questions and more with our special guest, Dr. Ian Murphy, a writer and Catholic speaker who resigned from his work as a Baptist pastor to enter the Catholic Church. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, today we'll be uh, discussing Dying to Oneself. It's our Lenten uh, show. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And I'm joined in our studios with our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology uh, here again at Franciscan University. And we're so happy to welcome Dr. Ian Murphy. Um, you're a writer, you're a speaker, uh, you uh, graduated from Carnegie Mellon University, uh, you have your PhD in Systematic Theology uh, from Duquesne, uh, you are a former Baptist pastor, entered the Catholic Church in 2004, so it's, it's still fresh in some ways, um, but you've taught at Rosemont College, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, Penn State, Duquesne, and you're currently teaching at Divine Mercy University. So welcome to the program. That's right, and thank you for having me. Each one of you has helped my own growth as a Catholic since my conversion at mm. some point in some way, sometimes multiple times, and to see you all in person is an honor. Uh, you should be a saint by now. <laughs> <laughs> so that salvation by association learn. works, so yeah. it's good, I'm just making sure. You'll probably be disillusioned before the end of the tape. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in many ways, my Catholicism's his fault. Oh, <laughs> so thanks to uh, Rome Sweet Home, yeah. but yet yeah, it is. Uh, I, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, yeah it's great all. to have you back. And I know uh, we got to meet a couple years ago at the Defending the Faith conference mm -hmm. here over the summer. Um, but today, we're, 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 is our focus is Lent, um, and when I think of Lent, I think of dying to oneself. What does that mean, dying to oneself? Yeah, that that is the heart of Lent, and. It's an odd phrase, isn't it? Dying to oneself. The paradox is obvious that to live you die. Mm. So it immediately strikes us as a contradiction that, that sounds sometimes too mysterious to get our, our arms around. And it does mean something. It means something very specific that is the life of every Christian. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just for priests. It's not just for people who've, who've made special vows, it is for every Christian. Mm. And if, if it remains this ethereal concept with, with no concretization, you know, that, that can be very dangerous. It just sounds spiritual, but we don't yeah. know what it means. It means something specific, and it, and it really hits us. Yet there it is all through Scripture, like in Luke 9, 24, if somebody wishes to save his life, he must lose it. 
Right. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is our Lord talking about there? Yes. As, as Jesus would answer many questions with a story, if, my, if I may very briefly, shortly after my conversion mm. to Christianity out of agnosticism, very early on, <coughs> I was at a high school basketball game when the crowd around me started jeering against an opposing player who was a superstar. I mean, this girl was an incredible athlete. She was just using her gifts and shining a little too brightly for everyone's taste. And the jeering crossed a line. It got violent. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. It was personal. They named her jersey number, and they repeated a very insulting chant. And so they're all looking at me. Are you going to join in? So not my proudest moment. I joined right in for the illusion of people approval and community and camaraderie, which wasn't real friendship. I wasn't being myself, and yet I was part of this crowd and said, well, every toddler knows it's better to get in trouble in groups. Divide this problem by all these other hundred people, and so I'm not, not I only get 1% of the trouble, right? And I just decided to hide behind that and not look at it. It's two months later, I'm selected as our high school's representative to a countywide meeting because I was our class president. And so we get one representative and I'm it, along with one representative from every high school in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. Mm. So I go to this county forum and this girl walks up to me, sits down next to me, and we just hit it off like best friends. And she's lovely and wonderful. And I ask her at lunchtime, you know, so, so where are you from? She said, I'm not even supposed to be here. Our, our class president canceled and I was late for homeroom. The principal caught me in the hallway. Instead of detention, he sent me here so we'd have a representative. <laughs> and so here I am and you know what? I saw you and I felt drawn to you. Maybe this is Providence. Where do you go? And I said, I, went, I go to Mount Pleasant. And she starts crying. And would you believe it? It's that, it was that same athlete. It was the exact same girl. Mm. I don't subscribe to coincidence. This was a setup. I said, God, you set me up. Don't ever stop setting me up. She looks at me in tears. She says, I, I had a bad experience at your school. I'm a captain of our girls' basketball team, and, and your school shouted a chant that I can't get out of my head and my heart. She looks up crying and says, were you there? And at that moment, I'm looking at this, this teary-eyed face, And I saw the face of Christ in my neighbor. And I imagined him saying to me about that jeering mob that put him on the cross, were you there? And that's when I realized as I answered her question, yes, yes I was. And I thought to Hebrews 12, 11, God disciplines those he calls children. And it's not pleasant at the time, but it, it's a good kind of pain. It's, it's a painful purification. It, it's, it's like the removal, it's the sting of removing a splinter from your foot. And I didn't want him to stop setting me up. And I realized I have a choice to make. I can either identify with the suffering servant or I can identify with this envious and violent and crazy mob that wants to see him hang on that tree. And, and there's no lukewarm option available. I am either going to break up with the kingdom of, the, of this world, and it's going to break up with me to ally with the Lord, mm. or I'm going to stay a part of this system 
which was it, and I became my truest self. We can see ways I had to die to myself, and we can see ways that I found life. To be clear, we're not dying to being. No. We're dying to selfishness. I, I'm, I'm dying to know uh, after you confess your complicity. What did she do? Did she? She forgave me. She did. Yeah. And, and it was good. very healing for her. Yeah. For her oh, and so. for you. <laughs> How easy it would have been in that moment to lie. Right? Yeah. And to say either I was there, but I didn't, right. or I wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Because she didn't recognize you. Right. No. As having no. been no. there. No, no, no. But, but that now you were on the spot. And now you had to, in that moment, die to yourself to realize I'm going to eat the humble pie that I yeah. served up for myself and yeah. claim what was mine in that. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that angry crowd sort of represents the world gone mad, but that's where we live, you know? Right. Yes. And, and so often we get caught up in that, whether we're fully consenting to it or not. And then we find ourselves trying to decide what to do. Should we continue living the lie? Yeah. Uh, or should we really own this thing and come to admit that and, uh, we've sold out? And, and I think Lent is that time. You know, yeah. that time to remove from the crowd, to take the time and really meet yeah. uh, Jesus, meet, encounter our Lord, and realize, were you there? It, it's right. so easy, I, I think, to get sucked into that mob psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think of Coventry Patmore's line. He's talking about Palm Sunday and then juxtaposing Good Friday yeah. alongside of it. And he says, it's a toss-up whether the crowd cries, Hosanna, or crucify. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the temptation to give in and, and to say, oh, I wasn't there, or I was, but I tried to stop it. <laughs> uh, that, that, I mean, that can be almost irresistible. The other temptation, and you used the word ethereal, uh, struck me that to etherealize Lent has got to be a very attractive prospect because when you concretize it, the prospect of spending 40 days disguised as some bloody penitent <laughs> uh, wearing sackcloth and ash yeah. doesn't light anybody's fire. That's so true. You know, the, so true. the sybaritic life is more attractive than asceticism, so we shrink mm -hmm. from that. But we've got to overcome that resistance, don't we? Yeah. I mean, that's why we've got 40 days to pull this <laughs> off. It's right. significant, though, because, you know, in a certain sense, it shouldn't be just during the 40 days of Lent. Yeah, it should yeah. be year-round that we're refusing to live the lie. But there really is the need for people who are weak, like we are, to really focus for 40 days because anything more is not reasonable, you know. Yes. And even 40 days ends up feeling like, a, you know, an unbearable burden at times in terms of fasting or whatever other penances we have. You know, but it isn't, you know, when you use the example from Luke's gospel, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. Yeah. You know, I think our assumption is a kind of default mode is to think, well, that's because of sin. Mm -hmm. But in fact, there's really not a sense in which it's just punitive. It's just penitential. You know, when Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his beloved, laying your life down for your beloved is not just a penance or a punishment for sin. It's sort of the alternative to sin. You know, so there's almost a sense in which we suffer because we sinned, because we sinned because we didn't want to suffer that much. We didn't want to love, you know, beyond chocolates and flowers, you know, love that demanding is just something we say no to. And so this really has to lead us to recognize that the inner logic of penance and all of the law of God is a love that is more demanding than we desire. We want to be loved, we want to love, but on our terms, not God's, mm -hmm. you know. And for that very reason, the habits we form in a penitential season are supposed to stick. I can't yeah. wait till next Lent. Teaching theology, I, I, I realize 
sometimes I have to check myself, well daily, not sometimes, daily. Mm -hmm. Pneumatology doesn't guide me. It's the Holy Spirit who guides me. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. The Heavenly Father is who loves me, not theology. The yeah. no, wait, wait a second. You're, you're stepping over a line. <laughs> yeah. no, but I mean, that is a discovery you make every time you teach Christology, that it's Christ who saves, not yeah. Christology. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Or, or a recapitulation atonement theory. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, but Jesus, actual Jesus himself. Yeah. And if I don't go to him daily and, and, and let him in and receive, apart from him I can do nothing. Yeah, right. yeah. So at, and during Lent we're overcoming sin, right? You know, we're, we're looking at the temptations that are coming at us. We're looking at how does, how does temptations and dying to oneself, or how do we look at the season of Lent and, you know, gain some fruit, uh, if you will, for our spiritual lives in this regard? And what does that really look like um, from a big picture standpoint in dying to self? Uh, you got Adam and Eve, you know, you've got temptations uh, aplenty in the, the scriptures. I think a start with the big picture can be very useful and, and helps us to realize that this is a universal need yeah. and that everyone who takes Christ up on this offer has to go through this. We all have to finish the course. Yeah. And this starts with the first people when they're in this garden paradise, mm. the, which is very revealing God's plan for us is, is to prosper, to live life more abundantly, life to the fullest. His intention is a paradise. What good news that already is. Mm -hmm. And there they are in this heavenly state, right loving relationships with God, right re loving relationships with each other, with the world around them, with self, and their whole, and if we think of our own lives, our most heavenly memories mm. are because of the love. It's the loving relationship that makes it so happy. And then the deceiver shows up and they face three temptations. The forbidden fruit appeals to the lust of the flesh, it appeals to the lust of the eyes, and it appeals to the pride of life. Right. And this threefold enticement, these three overlapping areas, they really, when I think personally, they cover the whole gamut of anything that would beguile me to break the happy bonds of fellowship with God and neighbor. Yeah. Like it really covers the whole picture and they face this hat trick of deception and they fall for the trifecta and they choose self-centeredness at the expense of these love bonds, and it's not just a rule broken with sin, more than that, it's hearts that are broken. Mm. You know, Adam blames Eve, then he even implies it's God's fault, the woman you gave me. Mm. And yet, when we look at this, these uh, Genesis 3-6, these, this, these, this threefold temptation, it parallels Genesis 2-9, where we see that the Creator already provided a beautiful garden with trees pleasing to the eyes yeah. that produced fruit good for food, even the tree of life, everything they needed for their life. So everything they found appealing about this lie was something already provided right, right. in paradise, rendering sin fundamentally insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you make the argument for resistance so effortless. Uh, <laughs> why, why, why did they give in? Uh, see, if it was so obvious, if it was a no-brainer. Uh, I, I mean, to me, uh, you've, you've nailed it. Uh, it is the self-centered self. 
Uh, and it's a kind of perpetual odyssey, a solipsism. Uh, narcissism really is at the heart of every sin we commit. And maybe it grows out of the failure to admit or accept our creatureliness. We're not self-sufficient. I'm not the sovereign self. I depend upon another. But if I just give in to that dependency, life is going to be great. Right. It, just one endless, endless cycle of charm and delight and pleasure. But I give in. Mm. Why? Stay with us to hear more on the next segment of Franciscan University Presents. My favorite part about Lent is that it gives us an extended period of time to be able to make sacrifices both for ourselves and for others, especially those who uh, either can't or won't have the opportunity to, to do that for themselves. Lent is definitely one of my favorite seasons. It's just a time when I'm able to reflect, um, especially on the phrase frater momento more, which means brother, remember your death. And for me, it's a time that I can go through penance and do sacrifices in order to unite myself with Christ before his resurrection and just taking the comfort that he goes through all of my sufferings and sorrows with me. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents in our Lenten program. Uh, we've been talking with author and writer and uh, uh, teacher, preacher, <laughs> uh, Dr. Ian Murphy. Uh, so in the first segment, we talked about dying to self, uh, at least in the big picture. We've talked about temptation and sin. And uh, we have the, the old Adam, the first Adam, uh, who led us down a very different path. But we have a new Adam as well. And that's a, a new promise that unfolds for us. In the context of Lent, in the context of dying to self, um, what, what does the old Adam and the new Adam have to do with each other? And what does that set forward for us as we look at the kingdom? Yes, that the first people, and, and not just to put it on them, that insane choice that they make right, is right. the choice I've made. Yeah. And as irrational as heartbreak is, we do it and we want to. There is an appeal, there is an enticement mm. to these misplaced goods you know, to get them, you know, immediately or out of their proper context or in a way that boosts this self-sovereignty. You will be as the Almighty. Yeah, at, yeah. The, at the heart of this, yeah, I used to live in Pittsburgh on Pride Street, and it's right, it's near Mercy Hospital. So when people asked how to get to my place, I'd say, I live on Pride, right where you turn <laughs> away from Mercy. <laughs> and I feel like that's still my spiritual address <laughs> every day. You know, and, and so I'm right there with the first Adam. I'm right yeah. there with him in that. And what resulted from it, I mean, it unravels fast, the blame game, you know, this, this heartbreak, shame manifests, that there's toil, there's labor, murders introduced to the society, then the confusion of the languages. The system of human governance 
that is designed around the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is an utter catastrophe. Right. And that's what we're born into. Yeah. And yet we were meant for paradise. As From the initial original uh, plan of God. Right, as yeah. his beloved. And so we, we get a new Adam in Christ Jesus. Uh, he reheads the human race, recapitulation, recaps, puts a new head on. The way this happens is when the new Adam shows up to give us a, a new starting point for the human race, for whosoever accepts the grace that he's offered freely and his allegiance. You know, it's for whosoever wants to follow him. You know, the way he makes that possible is he shows up facing that same threefold temptation, that same deceiving trifecta. In, in Luke chapter 4, we see it spelled out for us, and these parallels are no accident, you know, where Jesus is tempted according to the lust of the flesh, turn these stones to bread, the, the lust of the eyes, behold the splendor of the earthly kingdoms, you can have them now. You know, be, the pride of life, throw yourself off this cliff, put God to the test, give them a show, and satisfy their current understanding of what they expect the Messiah to look like right. according to their current darkened, sinful and ignorant understanding. Yeah, yeah. Like this diabolic appeal to the pride of life, and yet his response, he is tempted. Yeah. And we can relate with that humanity. In his humanity, he feels that same Pull. temptation, yeah, that appeal. Yeah, yeah. And yet he responds with humility with obedience, with love that makes our redemption possible. In short, where the first people responded to temptation with covenant fracture, breaking hearts, paradise lost, the new Adam facing the same temptation responds with covenant faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that's the powerful. We have the old man and the new man at war, uh, essentially. And in effect, what you've just described is the beginning of his public ministry. But the culmination of that is, once again, the new Adam back in the garden of Gethsemane to undergo that same sort of temptation where he cries out, take this cup, and yet he accepts the Father's will. And I love that passage in Hebrews 5, verse 8, although a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Yeah. And you know, it might be tempting to slough it off and say, well, that was for him, but not for us. But you know, <laughs> if in fact, he had to undergo suffering to really learn obedience and to acquire that into the depth of his human nature. How much more do poor, you know, mm. concupiscent sinners like us need it as well? So you know, and there also in Hebrews 5 verse 7, the preceding verse, it talks about how he was praying with loud cries and groans. Well, the only episode that could be referring to is Gethsemane. So it's precisely there in which the hinge of the drama turns from the public ministry to the very act of the world's redemption, which is the absolute most unlikely form, you know. And I think this is also what Paul's reflecting on, you know. On the one hand in Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they become fools. And at that point, they don't cease to claim to be wise, they claim to get, they claim to be wiser and wiser, the more and more foolish they become. But the foolishness of the cross mm. is the wisdom of God. Yeah. You know, the, the weakness of Christ dying is the strength of love manifested from heaven in a way, it, it takes a lifetime for theologians and they still don't get it because the fact is you really get it not by thinking and teaching so much as by Lent, 
and by entering into the yeah. spirit of this yeah. seed. Yeah, it, it's an extraordinary story that Christianity tells. <laughs> Let, let's yes. assume that it's all false, it's all bosh. It is certainly fabulous, it's an amazing yeah. tale. Uh, these breath-catching polarities that, that you outline, this movement uh, from, from Eden uh, into exile and then on to eternity. I mean, that's astounding. Uh, and uh, what, what strikes me is the twofold crisis that we face, it, it's certainly in the head. I know sin is destructive. Father Lonergan calls it a deliberate stupidity. Uh, you suppress the truth on purpose. Uh, and, and Chesterton says the only, the only lie is when you call green grass gray. And it's not accidental that Lucifer is designated as the father of lies. And so in the head, you know this is duplicity. Uh, I can see it's, it's transparent, but in the will, you're so wayward and vagrant that you fall for it time after time after time. And so you need grace to get up. Yes. And yet somehow provision is made for grace. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, 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 the writer Wilde, Oscar Wilde, has this great image about humankind languishing in some gutter. Mm -hmm. And yet a few of us are able to look up at the stars. Christianity is not just that. It's Jesus coming into that gutter. Right. He's down in the ditch with you, uh, and yet uh, he has come to divinize us, yeah. to, to help us climb out of that damn ditch. I mean, that's an amazing story if it's true. That's right. And, and I'm reminded is. of Our Lady of Sorrows. <laughs> yeah. Like Our Lady, Our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Joy is Our Lady of Sorrows. And our brain hits that paradox and it says, okay, so it's Our Lady of Sorrows, then Our Lady of Joy. No, it's not sequential. Yeah. Okay, so she's Our Lady of Joy in spite of, no. She's Our Lady of Joy because she is Our Lady yeah. of Sorrows at the same time. Right. Born into this lie of self-sufficiency and yet meant for the paradise of being the beloved, it makes perfect sense that there's something we have to shed and yeah. die to. Yeah. Well, and, and when you think about, obviously, just how we laid out, Adam led us to death and destruction, yet the new Adam came along and he died too, but he showed us the path to life is through death. And, and isn't that what we're talking about during Lent? Uh, dying to self and, and freeing ourselves, following the path of our master. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. and, and how, when you, when you think about the new Adam, the path that he has laid before us, I mean, is this advancing the kingdom? Is this the kingdom he talked about establishing death and, and, and that we're all gonna be persecuted and, and we're following in his footsteps? Is that the kind of kingdom uh, God is looking for? Well, that's, no wonder, you know, he says, my kingdom is not of this world because there's nothing in this world that would make sense out of it. You know, yeah. everything sort of inclines us to not only commit mortal sin, but then to rationalize it. Yeah. Only the light of grace shows us that what we're really committing is spiritual suicide yeah. again and again. You know, and so to break the grip of this lie takes so much more than human reason, philosophy, science. It really is a light that has to blind us like it did for Saul on the road to Damascus. I mean, for yeah. three days he had to be in darkness yeah. before the light of grace would come with baptism and show him all that he has in turn taught us, you know. But there is Christ in the garden as the new Adam being tested. And then of course he ends up going to the right tree as opposed to the wrong one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the early church fathers were so fond of pointing out that the Eucharist is the fruit of the tree of life. Yes. It is the antidote to mortality. And for us it's also the key that unlocks Lent because the whole thing is ordered to Easter. It isn't just a kind of stoic, 
you know, sort of, um, oh, just keep a stiff upper lip the entire 40 days, you know. No, it really is ordered to joy. And at the same time, it only comes through sorrow for Our Lady, but also for us. I'm thinking, too, of of Kimberly's, the grief and agony when it comes to the six cesarean sections that she undergo, you know, to give life to our six kids, you know. And now the encouragement that she gives to our daughters-in-law, you know, and others, too. And it just, you die to live. The mm-hmm. cross is the ultimate reversal. We see so many yeah. of these, but in, it is in crucifixion brokenness that we encounter resurrection life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we see that these kingdoms are filled with these reversals because God's kingdom, an enemy love, Yes. Like that is not how we do kingdom down here. That is not the lust of the flesh, That's the lust of the, the eyes, and the pride version. of life. <laughs> Could you imagine watching a presidential debate and seeing some arrogant billionaire colossus lumber hulk across the stage, put on the robes of a servant, get down and wash his opponent's feet? Yeah. <laughs> what a what a sight that would be. Yeah. Not figuratively, not literally. We that is not how we do kingdom. And there is Jesus. And don't hold your breath. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Like well, he's washing Judas Iscariot's feet, saying, "Do as I do." That's right. And, and he's, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. It's from another place. It is truly from out of this world. That's right. And that revelation leads to all these. He's turning us right side up again in this painful purification process called dying to self. But it feels like getting flipped on our heads every yeah. day. Yeah. Something, it can even feel like he's ruining our lives. From, from the kingdom of this world's perspective, and yet the meek will inherit the earth. The first will be last, the last will be first. In dying to self, you will find life. And we see this throughout the unfolding of salvation history. I, what does the covenant come to some great Assyrian noble? No, it comes to some Semitic wanderer who just couldn't stay put in the land of Ur. <laughs> well, then his eldest son, Ishmael, gets it according to cultural norms and, and traditions. No. The second you know, born it, it, gets it's, it. it's so it, it's so irritating uh, to listen to uh, the cultured despisers of mm-hmm. Christianity because alongside what you're saying, uh, uh, what what they propose is, is so pale and so unimpressive, boring, unpersuasive. But, yes. yeah. but it, it's too facile to dismiss Christianity as pie in the sky when you die, or or to charge it as a kind of cop out. Uh, yeah. You're really escaping life. Good heavens, it's a plunge into the heart of life. At the center of our faith is a crucifixion. I mean, it's not a warm fuzzy. It's not an all-day sucker. I mean, somebody has to die so that you can be set free. That's not cheap grace. That's that's exactly right. At the same time, I think the world has a glimpse that sacrifice is the key to fulfillment. You know, the Olympics, presidential elections, baseball, football, you know, but it's always a finite sacrifice. Yeah, no pain, no gain. You know, there's always a sacrifice, but it's always a finite good. That's right. You know, for years I tried to use Mm -hmm. the example of a photographic negative. Now with cell phones taking pictures, nobody understands. But, you know, if you look at this world, you realize in a certain sense, it's like the next world. But it's the opposite, like a photographic negative where everything is bright, that's dark, and everything that's dark is really bright. Right. You know, everything that seems so wise is actually foolish. Everything that seems so foolish mm-hmm. is actually divine wisdom, you know. And so we can contemplate this order of creation. But at the same time, we got to really flip it around. Like you say, allow God to turn us upside down. And that, again, 
is what fasting, that's what prayer, that's what yeah. pilgrimages, that's what Lent, and all of the minor mortifications like not putting salt, taking the smaller portion, yes. all of these sorts of things are about. Yeah. And we're in this story, this same list of characters. We're, we're not reading the story, we're in the gospel right. story. Yeah. Yeah. And as we go through these, like, so, you know, then we look at Jesus' dream team of uh, disciples. Like, there's a sight to behold. You've got, you know, a tax collector, a racist who hates people from Nazareth, the, the sons of thunder, you know, the, a, a bumbling fisherman. Like, what was, what was he thinking, yeah, right? Yeah. That salvation history unfolds to the most dysfunctional lot of people going. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, Thank and God. this, yeah. and, and, and this and is good news. That, right? <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, good yeah. news. I mean, it, Let, let's pick that up on the uh, next segment of Franciscan University Presents. For me, Lent is a way to, um, is a response to Christ's sacrifice and love on the cross. And so it's a way to offer up just a little sacrifice and um, to show my love and how he died for me and how I can just give up a little part of my day or just a little aspect of my life and just offer it to him. To me, Lent really means examining the parts of my life that are really neglected during the, uh, the other parts of the year. I think as, as Catholics especially, we tend to embrace the parts of our life that are strong and seek to strengthen those even more. But Lent is really an opportunity for me and for a bunch of other Catholics to die to self, to be reborn a greater Catholic and for me, a stronger man. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, it's being recorded right now in our communication art studios. Our students are operating the camera and equipment. Our regular panelists are uh, theologians here at the university. Um, we've been talking to Dr. Ian Murphy, uh, looking at, at our challenge of this Lent um, and the, the, the concept of dying to oneself. We've, we've laid a foundation looking at scripture, looking at kind of the theology or the theory, if you will, um, let's bring it into some practice. Let's bring this down into Lent that's going to help some people um, die to themselves. When you think about dying to ourselves, uh, what, what are some ways that the church, that the, the life, uh, that, that uh, we as uh, good Catholics can live out dying to self? Or some suggestions or ideas that you might have as we yeah this this needs to be concrete yes you know this yes. this can't stay safely abstract <laughs> right or for other people yes. no we have to go there that it, that is our high calling but it's good news mm. and, and and I like to emphasize that because sometimes there's this association with with the painful process of the purification that we forget the finding of life that comes through it. Yes. Yeah, there, we do find life. How is this good news at a very practical level? Well, the kingdom of this world has a different measuring stick. Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about God's covenantal heroes and what a reversal that is. The God of Abraham 
is the maestro who plays his symphony through broken instruments. Mm. And if I will boast in anything, it's my weakness because that is where Christ is strong, another reversal. So how can we get in touch with that good news that, hey, I'm a broken instrument. God can use me too. One very practical way we can immediately get in touch with the good news that Lent is because the finding of life is simultaneous. The resurrection life is coming through the crucifixion brokenness. Lent is happy. Yeah. It, it sounds ironic, but this is a happy season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so how is it happy? Well, we can die to this world's canon. The New Testament is a very different canon, measuring mm -hmm. stick, mm -hmm. than the kingdom of this world sets. The kingdom of this world's measuring stick is based on power and money and, and fame and these invented lies that, that never held any water. This is the God who's no respecter of persons. And his own reversal, he's born into a manger, and his host is partying with the shepherds, not with the society's VIPs. Huh. He has the hairs on your head numbered. He knit you together in your mother's womb with a purpose on your life. People live their days beaten up by that measuring stick, like it's Satan's ruler. And they're, look, you don't measure up. You're not as wealthy. You're not as important. You're not as pretty. You're not as powerful. You're not as famous. You're worth less than this other person. You're worthless. Mm. And there's the lie. But our worth was never located in that measurement. Our worth comes from God calls us beloved, has our hairs counted. There's no slave or free in Christ Jesus. All are equal. So this is for you. And we can get in touch with that. And we don't have to live our lives under the weight of comparing ourselves to other people. We can die to negativity gravity. Teresa of Avila talks about we have this bent to the negative and we're hijacked by it. But we can get our eyes on what is good and what is loving and what is grateful. To make that concrete, I would say, you know, fasting, well, it makes me feel weak. Well, that's sort of the point, you know, yeah, as you yeah, were just yeah. explaining, you know, but not just fasting from meat on Fridays, but fasting from our favorite fast foods, mm -hmm. but also, dare I say, fasting from Facebook, you know, uh, <laughs> fasting from the cell phone, that blasted yes. thing that people stare at all the time. Fasting from television, except for EWTN, of course, <laughs> then you can be feasting through Lent yeah. and make it even more. But I mean, little things too, little mortifications, you know, uh, a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine or a friend of mine made a pilgrimage to a nursing home, you know, once a week and then has been doing it for five or six years ever since, yeah. going with the spouse and the kids to go visit people who are just so lonely. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, this is more fulfilling than if I had just, you know, gone out for fast food or whatever. Mm, and it's so true. And I feel like that during Lent, we are given that unique opportunity, that, again, that, that time yeah. to get away um, from the busyness and the craziness of our secular world and, and look at how are we doing with God. Yeah. If, we, if, we, if we realize if we're going to have that encounter, uh, by coming into contact with the Almighty, we see His light shine and we realize the sin in our lives. But, I mean, but we have it. to remember, I, I think, that, that the experience of Lent begins with an event that invites us in a very different direction. Uh, far from this glowing, radiant account uh, that you've given us, Ash Wednesday. I mean, remember uh, that thou art dust, and unto dust mm -hmm. thou shalt return. I mean, that, that's pretty sobering. That's the way humbling. I do that, the way I sober up, take a knee, and practically get in touch with how this is good news is with 
prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Uh, the importance of that, you know, there, there's more to Lent than giving up carbs for Lent. <laughs> like I, the best Lenten sacrifice I ever made was I gave up listening to the, my favorite rock station on the radio and I changed that commute time to prayer time. That habit stuck and never changed and I carry around with me, if, if I may, this prayer that, that follows me everywhere I go. I always keep it on me, it is somewhere in here. <laughs> <laughs> We believe you. Yes. Uh-oh. I probably could recite it from memory. This is it. I, this is a culmination of teaching on the front lines, you know, teaching Catholic thought at secular universities yeah. to a crowd of not just non-Catholics, but very hostile anti-Catholics, and having to do that every day over and over again and this this comes from my uncle Tim uh, there's a bit in here from a student Mark Hart helped with this but this it it's it's the result of years of starting my day but when I say this prayer something happens and if I could just uh, I invite anyone to pray it now with me as I pray it I call it the sovereignty prayer Lord God Almighty you are sovereign you are sovereign Lord God Almighty in my backwards, disordered state, I find myself inclined to invite you into my day. In reality, it is not my day. And what a peaceful relief that already is. It is your day. You are sovereign. So I do not ask you into my day. Rather, I enter into the day the Lord has made. I rejoice and I'm glad in it. I do not invite you into my time. Rather, you are the author of time itself, and I gratefully exist upon the stage which you created for life. Thank you for the dignifying gift of time, and please guide me in using it. I do not ask what is your personal will for my life. Rather, I ask what is the will of God, and where do I fit in that picture? Thank you for making me a part of your picture. I do not break your law in a literal sense when I sin. Rather, I break against it. Your law remains perfectly intact. I do not reenact the past in the gift of the Eucharist. Rather, I re-encounter what is ever present to you in thanksgiving for your love and grace. You do not suddenly show up again. Rather, I come into view again of one who never abandoned me. I do not fight for victory. Rather, I fight from it. Thank you for your triumph. And I do not tell you how big the storm is. Rather, I tell the storm how big my God is. Yeah. Yeah. When I go through that prayer, mm -hmm. something happens. There's like a tuning out of my earthly cares, the Byzantine prayer, set aside all earthly cares. Yeah. The, the heavenly broadcast is ever broadcasting to us. There's a lot of clutter we have to tune out of. Uh, saying prayers is a great way for me to start praying. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. yeah. and when That's how we join the, begin this Lent, uh, right? Y you know, there's another reversal is that our society says, you know, stop just sitting around and go do something. But a penitential season, in a sense, reverses that and says, stop doing something. Right. Yeah. And sit around. Receive. Yeah. Let go. Yeah. 
be still and know that I am your God. Right. Yeah, right. I'm, I, I was struck by a, a line from Newman, his Apologia Pro Vita Sua. When he was 15 years old, he, he admitted that uh, doctrinal truth uh, made its, uh, uh, its penetration uh, into his young mind. And it, it gave rise, he said, to two absolute, luminously self-evident realities, himself and God and that he moved between both. Those were the two bookends of his life. The self who stands in relation to God, this absolute other. And I like that notion that he's bigger than any of the problems That's we right. face. Right. He dwarfs everything. Uh, and he made himself small so that he might walk in companionship with us. That, that's very consoling. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing that we tend to forget the most and the easiest, that he is sovereign, he is in control, he is larger than any problems we have in life. And you know, that response of don't just do something, sit there, yeah. is yeah. so wise. You know? right. And especially before the Blessed Sacrament, you know, yeah. uh, setting aside time for Eucharistic adoration. Perhaps you already do it, do it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, the rosary. Uh, and, and other prayers too, I always try to choose a novena or two during that period to get closer to, closer to saints who are strong where I am weak, you know. And then you can also find things to do as a family. Uh, we've always enjoyed a kind of Lenten pilgrimage to the, the grotto, the Marian grotto on the campus here at Franciscan. Yeah. and praying the rosary all the way there and back. And, yeah. you know, the kids are like, oh, seriously, Dad. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, they tell on the younger siblings, come on, just do it, because it was yeah. great when we did it, you know. And, and I think those sorts of customs, you know, you can do individually, you can do with friends, you can do with family. But those are the sorts of things, you know, you don't just do something, sit there, and yet at the same time, do something so you, that yeah, you're sure right. to sit there. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. It's both. It's both. Yeah, yeah. 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 What's really freeing is this insight that it's not up to us to make time for God, to set aside a little place and pronounce it sacred. This is my hallowed space where I invite God in and we, we're, we're chums for a time. God is the place of the world. That's right. uh, and and uh, he's made a space for us inside this Godhead. So who are we strutting our stuff on this stage? It belongs to him. He rents it out to people who love him, but he owns it. Uh, it's his cosmos. And, and that, I think, reorientates the mind uh, in, in, I hope, uh, a liberating uh, direction. Yeah. Often we feel like we're being deprived in a, in a painful purification process when the truth is we're coming into view of what was always already the case. Yeah. I am not self-sufficient. I never was. Right. I was always radically dependent on my Creator for my life. And my worth always was defined by His love. It, it, I never was sovereign. It's not a deprivation. When I, I take an inventory of my emotional resources and they come up short, or my financial resources, they come up short, my relational resources. I, I don't have the resources to tackle this problem. Like John Paul II says in the spirituality of communion, we tend to think that the results depend on our abilities right, to right. plan and act. Yeah. What a freeing, finding life, wonderful consolation and relief to know that this is under the providential care of the God who said, I know the weeds and crops grow together right now. I know about that. You get to be a crop. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll worry about that later. And so the corporal works of mercy this sets us free to do. The prayer does lead to action. Yes. You know, there, was a, there was a time, again, I love narrative, 
I wrote my dissertation on it, so it's like I'm one step to narrative. But I, I say that prayer and then I hear God's end of the conversation. If I tune in, if I can tune out the clutter, he's talking, he has a totally different agenda than I did. The, the 40 things I took to him, I may only have to act on three of them. He had the other 37 covered, but he had things he wanted to send me out and do. One time I said that prayer and I got one of those inexplicable Holy Spirit nudges. Go visit that Chinese family you used to tutor their kids. You haven't seen in over half a year, drive out and visit them. Yeah. Now, when it comes to these special things, you know, we can't go wrong with humility. Is it from God? Is it not? Sometimes we're not sure. But Teresa Vavila says, just be humble and you can't go wrong. Right. And so I said, well, what's the worst that could happen if it's not what the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm still going and loving the least of these. That's, That's right. still a good That's thing right. to do. You're so taking I, action. You're I drove ahead. 40 miles based on that nudge. I walk into that restaurant and this little kid runs up squeezes me around the neck crying for joy. I said, are you okay? She said, you don't understand. I haven't seen you in over half a year. I tried Jesus today. Wow. I said, what? She said, you told me about Jesus? I tried him today. I, I lost your email and I needed help with my study guide. So I prayed, Jesus, draw Ian here. And you just showed, he hurt me. He heard me. I felt like Hagar saying, God who sees me from this yeah. little kid. He heard me. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you, when you tap into prayer on a regular basis, you're tapping into the Holy Spirit's action. Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. When I think of Lent, I think of it as a beautiful opportunity to grow closer to Christ through meditating on his passion um, and accompanying him in his suffering through the sacrifices that we make. For Lent, I tend to not just give up, but gain something. Um, I tend to fast and then also I do an hour of adoration and then a second rosary and be more positive during Lent than negative. So there was one semester where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for Lent and I went to one of my household brothers and he said, Joe, ask yourself, what is the biggest thing between the Lord and me right now? And try to address that this Lent. Welcome to the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about our, say, our theme of Lent and dying to self. Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, uh, it's just an honor, really, and a delight to have you. Uh, oh. You're a wonderfully uh, engaging guest full of uh, really the most enthralling stories, which are no end of uh, edifying and also uh, entertaining, uh, fun uh, to listen to. You remind me of somebody else uh, <laughs> who tells wonderful stories, uh, a younger version perhaps, but <laughs> maybe not with the same suntan. <laughs> uh, but it's convicting uh, at the same time. The examples you guys cite uh, uh, really leave me wondering what the hell am I doing because uh, my Lenten activities uh, fall pathetically short of the standard you guys uh, have set. I, I remember uh, a few years back asking a, a colleague, what are you going to do for Lent? And he said, I'm going to take cold showers. And it froze my blood because uh, 
and, and it left me speechless, so I didn't have to tell him the sacrifice I'd be making. I was gonna remove the sugar from my morning cup of tea. Uh, and I did that for an entire Lent, and I kept complaining about it to my wife, endless grousing, and she finally said, look, I don't care what you give up, I just want you to give up complaining about what you give up. That's and the most practical. That, that really was. That's why wives are, are so useful, In, indispensable. They keep us honest. Uh, I remember listening uh, to a, a priest uh, on NPR of all places, answered the question, well, what, what can you tell us about Easter Sunday? And he said, I've made two discoveries. One is there's a God, and two is he's not me, <laughs> and he knows how to get out of the grave, to climb out of uh, the tomb of death. Mm. And if we keep our eyes on the prize, then I think maybe I can suffer that terrible injustice of keeping sugar out of my tea uh, and maybe do it laughingly all the way to the kingdom. Amen, amen. Thanks, Regis. Scott? I think it's interesting that St. Benedict, in the rule of St. Benedict, only uses the word joy once, and he does it in the phrase, the joy of Lent. And I think what we ought to do is look for those things that give us that unexpected joy. Mm -hmm. You know, when we don't complain, yeah. You know, we're, we could easily complain about not complaining. I know that kind of cycle. But, you know, looking for specific things that will cultivate gratitude. Gratitude for my wife and my kids. Gratitude for this university. Mm -hmm. And so many other things, too. And at the same time, looking to other people. And so, over the years, I know from people <laughs> better than me, you know, that, you know, taking a smaller portion or letting everybody else serve first. Or I remember, similar to you, I. I turned off the radio in the car and I prayed the rosary and I have not turned the radio back on. But I mean, fasting from the left lane is for me one of the most mortifying <laughs> things of all, but I end up getting at least a couple of extra decades in, you know? And then also spending a little bit more time in spiritual reading, finding that person that I, like, you know, uh, St. Alphonse Liguori, you know, that's who I love to read, or St. Jose Maria, or the Gospels, St. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I mean, getting specific, getting concrete, and not getting too large, you know, so that the list is not something that is just bound to frustrate. But identifying the negatives that we're giving up complaining, giving up those things, and then the positives, you know, finding those things to read, to, mm -hmm. to, to go visit, to pray. Uh, and I think that kind of balance practically is what really will make the most of Lent and then even more of Easter. Mm -hmm. And I think every year we grow. Sometimes I feel as though I'm growing closer to the grave, you know, but at the same time, it's really what an Easter is all about. It, we, we, we do not fear those sacrifices. We should be, you know, getting over our fear of suffering. That to me is the hardest thing of all, and yet the greatest discovery. Very true, very true. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. Ian. You know, this, this Len, it's, I still haven't decided uh, all the sacrifices I want to give up because I usually do a group of things. I entertained coffee. But uh, it was the one thing Dorothy Day said she could never detach from. <laughs> and I can relate with that. I, I wonder if it would be uncharitable for me to try to give up coffee sometimes. But what I, what I do know I want to give up this Lent is weed panic. You know, I, I look at Matthew's Gospel and Jesus makes very clear that the weeds and the crops for a time grow side by side, and that's how it is right now, and God knows about that. 
God knows about. That's already so comforting. I don't, he didn't call me to understand. He called me to trust him. And if he says, I know about that, I can say, I'm glad you know about that. I guess, it, I guess it's not the rival to your power that my fears and my egos were trembling under. Of course you've got it covered. I don't have to live my life in weed panic. I can be a crop. I can get in touch with gratitude. I can turn inward to the weeds and crops that figuratively grow side by side within myself and get some pruning done mm. and get in touch with more of, more of life to the fullest, more virtue, more of who I truly am. The kingdom of heaven has some already aspects and it has some not yet aspects. When it comes to the already, enjoy them. We're supposed to enjoy his goods. Mm. When it comes to the not yet, our sufferings have been rendered extraordinarily meaningful. They're temporary, they're meaningful. Jesus didn't suffer so we wouldn't have to. He suffered so that our sufferings are no longer meaningless. Mm. And so our sufferings are temporary and meaningful, and there's also the already for us to enjoy. In short, I want to look at my idols and say, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You stunk at the job anyway. Yeah. Right. You know, if, if we fire the idol, we reclaim the created good. We fire gluttony, we reclaim the enjoyment of our daily bread. We fire laziness, we reclaim the enjoyment of our Sabbath rest. We fire lust, we reclaim passion and romance. And, and that beautiful bridge out of self that John Paul II describes in yeah, in the theology of the body where God made it delightful to exit self in, in mm. falling in love. He loves us that much. I want to fire my idols and find out who I truly am and flourish mm. instead. Mm. Thank you, Ian. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's program, I might make a recommendation for you. Go to faithandreason.com or contact us. Uh, Dying to Self, uh, a fresh look at Lent, a great article uh, piece that, that Dr. Murphy has written for us. It will, it will re-inspire you. It will give you something very thoughtful both in prayer and in action uh, for, to you, for you to make this Lent so, so effective. Um, I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission to form the leaders who are going to be transforming the world. Possibly to come here to be on our campus taking classes uh, from professors like these or on our online program. Or maybe you could join us at one of our dynamic summer conferences or travel with us on our pilgrimages to holy shrines around the world. But whatever you do, go to faithandreason.com to be equipped for the new evangelization. You have videos, talks, articles, materials that will both inspire and equip you for the new evangelization. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.